Liz, do you have haters? Um, I don't, I hope not. I, I'm sure I do. Like outside recently, of me. Mm, don't say that. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Be nice. Be honest. Okay. You're right. I, lo- I don't hate you. <laughs> Go on. Um, there, I, it's recently come to my attention that, yes, I do have some haters. Why? And I don't know. I haven't done anything. First of all, I'm really nice, which mm-hmm. everyone knows famously. Yes. And I, you know, that's it. That's what could they hate me for? That's true. You can't, I've always said, you can't hate someone if they're nice. That's always, <laughs> that's my number one rule. Uh, I don't know. I have so many haters that I could, I could, I could feel, fill a mausoleum with them. I could fill the columbarium with them. And one day I will. My, my haters, my enemies, they, I, I'm convinced now since I've been studying rune magic. That they are all in the pay of my enemies in Colonia Dignidad. Uh, I said that in English pronunciation. Down in South America. And they're beaming transmissions to me from there. And I will defeat them. See, this is why I'm the yin to your yang. Because I, first of all, I don't want enemies. I don't want haters. I am a pool of a, a deep reflecting well of love and kindness. To me, I seem to be a magnet for psychic Nazis. (laughs) For rune magicians. For the tool society. I'm telling you, since I've been doing my investigations into into Volkish magic, not in favor of it, simply investigating what it's all about, the, the acolytes of Guido von Liszt have been casting spells in their horrible castles in the Pyrenees, trying to psychically attack me and make me stop podcasting. Rune magic, Liz! (laughs) That is our enemy. I don't want enemies. I know, but sweetheart, we are messing with some dark forces here. I've, I've been doing research, and let me tell you, you thought we had enemies before? What if I told you that the world was hollow and filled with devils? No, it's not. First of all, there's only one devil. There's Uh, not multiples. His his little army comes in many shapes and sizes, but mostly white women. It is all under, you know, the direction of Satan. Well, the the devil's general then is has been commanding his minions. I mean, I'm telling you, I I have been studying these books and these texts and from these ancient magicians, and and this is not stuff we should take lightly here. I have outfitted myself with magical armor, this French, this French painter's jacket. <laughs> it's a nice jacket. It's a very nice jacket. Yeah, but you, I had, you look very nice. I had it blessed by a Jewish mystic uh, that I got from Fiverr. <laughs> to, uh, to, it's like the, you know, the chainmail shirts that the Mormons wear? Mm. This is like this for, uh, for, for guys whose parents wanted them to become lawyers. <laughs> Welcome to Truanon Manor. 
What? You like that? I thought it'd be a little homey for people. Homey? Yeah, like home, like not what, like the what home? Our home. <laughs> Liz, we live in a castle together. <laughs> no, we don't. Hey, uh, welcome to Truanon. Hello, I'm Liz. I'm Brace, joined by producer Young Chomsky. And what are we talking about today, Brace? We got what? a couple things. We are talking, well, we're talking about a lot of stuff, but we are talking. So, you know that we've been going to some protests. We're <laughs> activists. Yes, we're we're out there. Whose streets? Our streets. That's they what we've been saying. A hundred percent. I'm masked up. <laughs> uh, there have been, well, Liz, so I, I just recently found out about this, but apparently there's some kind of pandemic going. <laughs> yes, that's correct. Uh, COVID nineteen, uh huh, ravaging the nation. Every state, as as people know, most states are what in what we would call lockdown, mm-hmm. basically quarantine. Uh, almost all non-essential businesses closed. I don't know why we're. I mean, everyone knows this. That's why they're at home listening to a podcast. Well, I mean, I think there's, I think South Dakota is like the one state that's still mostly open. Respect. Uh, yeah. Respect for that. I mean, or no, might be Idaho. I don't know. One of those two fucking states is mostly open still. Mm. Not really germane to the discussion we're having today, but, but baby, not everyone is happy with this. And I can, on one hand, I can kind of understand why. Yeah. So there have been uh, a wave of protests throughout the nation. Uh, basically protesting these uh, these lockdowns and saying, you know, we got to open up business. We want to get back to work. We want to shop, right? Yeah. Uh, at, people want to buy Fredericks of Hollywood clothing. <laughs> I think my favorite was like all the people in front of like Pottery Barn. It's like, what are you going to get from Pottery Barn? Who's going to Pottery Barn? What, I, I, I regret to say I haven't been. I, bo- I make my own furniture. <laughs> Well, it's like, like you said, on the one hand, you know, there is part of this that you can kind of sympathize with. I think at least for me, I think there are definitely people who, you know, want to get back to work in the way that they want to return to normal. Exactly. I mean, very few people I know want to like get back to their jobs at like Gus's grocery store. Um, I don't know why I picked a specific place in San Francisco. <laughs> it is a medium-sized grocery store that is a small local chain that I know people who work at. No one I know, like, and actually they're open, so I don't even know why I said that. It's <laughs> I know, a, it's essential business. Uh, nobody I know wants to become, what are other jobs people I know do? Uh, gigolo. No, uh, esthetician. No one wants to go back. I mean, maybe some people love it, but like the reason they're clamoring, or people aren't clamoring, but the reason people they want to go back to work is because they're sick of sitting inside their house. They're sick of being poor. They're sick of not knowing if they're going to have a job coming up. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, people just watched, you know, most people have lost their jobs, or a uh-huh. lot of people have lost their jobs. Well, not everybody. No, well, I mean, for the people with the businesses, the, yes. the businesses closed. Um, no, but, you know, okay, 20, what is it, 28 million Americans now on un- that are filed for unemployment? Something like that. A lot have lost their savings in the stock market. So you can understand where that frustration would be coming from, especially when you're dealing with, you know, I think something that feels like invisible, right? 
Exactly. Like you don't see really, I mean, I guess unless you live in New York City, in most places you don't see things happening because you're stuck in your house um, playing video games, presumably. (laughs) Or listening Uh, to podcasts. And so like it's very easy for this to not feel real, Mm. right? I mean, granted, some over, I think it's 40,000 or 42,000 today uh, to date have died. Um, probably going to end up being a lot more than that. Uh, but it doesn't, it's like, and a lot of people at this point, not a lot of people, but uh, certainly people I know, I'm like one degree away from people who have died of COVID-19, friends of friends, parents of friends. Um, and so it's real, but you don't see it. You're not going to the funerals. You're not like walking through piles of bodies in the street or anything like that. Right, right. And it's interesting, you know, this is something that you and I were talking about where you start to kind of like, or I don't know if anyone else is feeling this, but like you kind of start to doubt yourself. Yeah. You're sort of like, am I being crazy? Like what is real? Like what, because you're so, your interactions literally with the real world are so limited. And it's then this sort of like, you know, it's funny. It's like, this is something that, again, you and I talk about all the time. It's like that we're, we're constantly told to trust experts, yes. right? And then throughout the past three, four months, all the experts keep just revising their opinions. Yeah. And it's like, you know, famously, of course, no, you don't need to wear masks. No, you don't need to worry. It's not a pandemic. And then, uh, oops, actually, it is a pandemic. And, oh, turns out you do need to wear masks. And, oh, this drug works. No, this drug doesn't work. Oh, we think this. Oh, we think that. And so it naturally, of course, people, that would only or can only increase skepticism with the, you know, so-called experts. I mean, the mass thing, I think, in particular, did, like, a big hit on public confidence in the experts. Mm. And, of course, like, our position, too, is difficult with this one because it is apparent that there is a real pandemic. If this pandemic was only happening in certain countries, I would be a little more skeptical. But the fact that it has hit uh, Iran so hard and and other countries that are enemies of America has crossed the world, uh, you know, does make me believe it's real, right? Uh, but. It, 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 it like one struggles because one doesn't want to be like, yeah, the government's right. I should stay in my house. But on the other hand, like there is a real, you know, pandemic going on. Mm. So you're sort of it's it's a weird kind of psychic back and forth between those two things. I think, too, like the thing that I kind of get caught up on is that most people can't hold both of these things in their head at once, where it's like just because the pandemic is real doesn't mean that also the state could be taking advantage of that situation yes exactly right right it's not like either or i think some people automatically think that because the state does take advantage of the situation that ergo i might use an ergo right there ergo the pandemic is made up because Mm -hmm. the state had to have manufactured it to get to these conditions when no the state is is agile like a supple dancer Yeah, I mean, when has the state ever let a crisis go to waste? (laughs) Precisely. And so, like, it, 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 you know, obviously there are some contentions on where the virus came from, but the virus is real and is affecting, you know, basically every country on Earth. And so, you know, it's, whatever state made it, if no state made it, if whatever a fucking pangolin is made it, that seems like that's even wilder. 
Mm. Uh, then it, yeah, I don't know what that is. I'm not <laughs> looking it up, but uh, it it is it is happening. And there are real effects to it, but not everybody has taken it lying down. Yes. Yeah, so let's talk about these protests. Um, I think it's important. I wanted to frame it at the beginning of the show by saying that you can understand where this sentiment would come from, right? 100%. But when you kind of start looking into these corona protests, uh, seems to be something else going on. Yeah, so there are there have been protests in a bunch of different states, uh, and they all seem to have sprung up from not all of them, I think, but the vast majority of them have seen to to have sprung up from a variety of Facebook groups, which is, you know, if if you're clued into politics in America, that's where it happens. And you should spend 100% of your time in those groups engaging with other people. <laughs> uh, but they, they came from these face, these pretty much identical Facebook groups called Pennsylvanians Against Excessive Quarantine, Wisconsin's, New Yorkers, Minnesotans, and Ohioans, all against excessive quarantine. Yeah, there's another big one in Huntington Beach, I believe. And basically, there, you know, a lot of people showed up either just in their cars, honking in support, or actual, I mean, I think a lot of people probably saw the photos, you know, actual protesters out in, like, Austin, uh, out on, that's where Alex Jones was, of course, out on the street, not wearing masks, all carrying signs, saying, reopen now, we want the economy open, Doing the socialist fraternal kiss to each other. (laughs) Um, But what's, so, yeah, so the media really, you know, this was like a big media uh, spectacle. Yes, 100%. All over the place. And it kind of, you know, it had this really interesting effect of, you know, drumming up a bunch of either insane support or insane uh, pushback. Like, it's quite polarizing event, obviously. Well, I think a lot of people were initially, I mean, like you said, repulsed by just the vision of people. Um, you know, people tend not to look their best when they're photographed mid-bellow. <laughs> like when you scream or bellow, don't ever let anyone take a picture of you. Unless, of course, you are performing in a famous opera such as Carmen. Um, and so people looked, I mean, like they do and often a lot of gro- protest pictures. They looked grotesque. They looked all packed together. And I think what most people thought at first was stupid, right? Yeah. Like, these people are idiots that this pandemic is real, and they're basically inviting trouble. Mm. Um, but it was curious on how a lot of these protests essentially sprung up either on the same day or all, you know, one day after another, but essentially all around the same time period. Yeah, yeah. And, and curiously, also, right around the same time that the... That- you know, the government and the Trump admin was really pushing a line that we needed to get the governors to start reopening the states. Is he still, just a quick aside, is he still pushing that line? Is Seems, it- yeah, I mean, you know, you know, famously, Georgia is opening next week, right? Uh-huh. Bunch of other states have followed. I know Colorado has, and that's a blue governor. So he caved yeah. it. My, my, um, my suspicion there has to do with, you know, possible job loss with fracking, because that's a huge part of the Colorado economy. Yes, that makes a ton of sense. But uh, yeah, so it seemed to be this sort of like, I, I don't want to say totally coordinated, as in total false flag up, 
Uh, because I do also think you need earnest people in order to kind of go along with this stuff. So it does tap in, like we said at the beginning of the show, it does tap in to a real, you know, skepticism and a real emotion that some people are feeling, real people are feeling. But (laughs) Mm -hmm. it also was uh, pretty coordinated. Yeah, so, I mean, the way, we'll talk about this more later in depth, but the way it usually works is that there'll be, like, a core cadre of, like, basically people who are paid to do it. I think that is not the case in this sense, but you did see very similar signage, and in some cases, similar handwriting on signs across the country. Yeah. Uh, there's been a, quite a lot of reporting on this in the, in the past week, but the, the first protest that happened in Michigan uh, was by a group called the Michigan Conservative Coalition, the Michigan Freedom Fund. But they are run. I mean, these are basically front groups, Republican front groups. Uh, the guy in particular who, who runs these ones, uh, or the chairman of it, is the guy who manages the investments of Betsy DeVos, the mm. education secretary and brother of Mr. Blackwater himself, Eric Prince. Or excuse me, the sister. Um... And other ones were basically sponsored by Heritage Foundation. There's a lot of, like, Coke. uh, Let me tell you, this guy, some of the stuff as the Coke brothers, I sound like Air America here, the Coke brothers' fingerprints all over it. Yeah, all over it. There was, it seems like uh, it's not just them, though, is it? There's another group uh, that's a little less known and certainly not as wealthy in any capacity as the Koch brothers, called the Door Brothers. Mm-hmm. A famously Jimmy Door, uh, no. <laughs> the presenters in his in his family. No, no, no. Door D O R R Door uh, Brothers. I mean, it uh, already sounds like a Coen Brothers movie, if you ask me. So uh, let me hold on. Let's do a little braces advice to the ladies' corner. So I know a lot of when you guys, you know, when you match with the guy on your little your little telephone app, you're like, damn, this guy, uh, Frank uh, Martin Borman, sounds wonderful. I, I, I'm not going to look him up at all. I'm just going to message him and then go on a date with him. You go on the date with him, the guy's a dud, and it turns out that he has also murdered several people but was released on a technicality. You're like, shit, I should have Googled him. If you are... If you match on Bumble with anyone named Chris, Ben, Aaron, or Matthew Dorr, do a quick Google search and you will find out that there is actually a website called Dorr Brothers Scams. And so my advice here is, and I hate to say this because there is a BraceBeldenScams.com, but it's for a different Brace Belden. My advice here is never go on a date, at least not multiple dates, with a guy whose family has a scam website uh, named for them. Does that sound like sound advice? Yeah, I think that's a probably pretty good advice. So These we got guys, four yeah, brothers. Yeah, you got four brothers. And this is like a pretty elaborate, multi-level activist scam. They've yeah. got, it seems like what they have is set up multiple different nonprofits that purchase and sell basically they sent they sell or rent out their own mailing lists that they build up through facebook and through other things they also you know purchase advertising and mailing materials from a for-profit company that they run that they then pay themselves out of for uh 
you know, with management fees. So to be clear, this is an extremely common scam. Like basically everybody you know who works in politics, I'm doing air quotes here as Liz can see, also holding a 45 caliber handgun in my other hand. Mm-hmm. Anybody you know who works in politics, uh, probably there's a 50% chance they work for somebody like this. Uh, it's basically like a direct mailing scam uh, mixed with just like uh, this circular, like, I don't know. It's like a, the pedophile swirl of money. Like <laughs> it goes in one end and like uh, the swirl actually doesn't really make sense. But it's it's basically shuffling money around and they're scams. So like what these guys do, their previous scam, which I, I'm sorry, I insanely respect, was they set up, by the way, if you are thinking about getting into scams, pay close attention to this because gun rights scams are, are you're, you're basically print, licensed to print money. What they do is they set up uh, quote unquote gun rights second amendment groups in in basically any state even very pro gun friendly states uh and they sent out like outrageous sort of headline grabbing flyers or emails saying that you know so and so oftentimes in fact mostly republicans are going to take away your guns and i think they sort of do it as an extortion scheme as well although i doubt it works very well but like one of their main targets is the nra Mm. Uh, and they attack the NRA for being too compromising, which is, you know, not precise, not exactly what they're known for. They're trying to push the NRA left. Yeah, they're like, we need Oliver North uh, to to become an anarchist, is what they're saying. <laughs> uh, so what they do is they set up all these groups, and then they have an, a, a membership fee of 50 or or $100. You sign up, or you just sign up for free on their mailing list. And they now have your email address. And they'll send you some bunko emails that are totally fake or bullshit. But they have your email address. And then they sell that email address to somebody else. Yeah, this is like classic. I mean, this is one of the most American grifts that I've ever heard of. There's something just like so classico American about it that I almost like... I'm kind of charmed by it. I'm not going to lie. I, I'll be honest with you guys. I'm sure these guys have dog shit politics. I'm, I, I, who knows? I mean, I have a feeling. But I, I respect this. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, I love a con man. Yeah, well, they're doing some big cons right now. Because they got basically an entire media cycle all, like, you know, ginned up. On these, you know, statewide protests. And you've got, and like I said, it's like very polarizing. You've got people then now saying, okay, these people are the stupidest people ever. No one wants this. These are insane MAGA fascists. Then you've got people on the other side. But you know what I mean? Like it was just like big old fight out in in the land of the takes. I mean, these guys also had like tens of thousands, so I think almost like a hundred thousand or a couple hundred thousand total members of these Facebook groups, and I'm sure that they harvested as much data as they could. I mean, it is true that like whatever actual right wing groups, the Oath Keepers, you know, it's etc., came out to these protests, but the core of these protests were frankly people who were getting scammed, yeah, and and, and to some degree risking their lives to make money for people who run direct mailing scams.
But this is not the, you know, the first time we've kind of seen these type of protests, what we would call astroturfed, right? No, I've seen it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go on, Queen. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, this is like, you know, this is kind of an old, not old school, but increasingly uh, prevalent form of, or of, I mean, it's like kind of what activism is now. It's funny. You never know what's actually grassroots and what's astroturfed. And famously, I mean, there was a lot of reporting about how the Tea Party kind of emerged basically from that same, you know, that same kind of astroturfed center. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't remember, like, I mean, maybe if you're younger, why would you? But the Tea Party, I mean, really came out of nowhere and they came in hot, right? Yeah, very. And it really did. Yeah, like you said, it really did feel like it came out of absolutely out of nowhere. And suddenly there were just these organized, you know, they called them at the time Tea Parties all throughout the United States with extremely active, extremely passionate uh, right-wing supporters. And just like a lot of these protests that are springing up, there were all of a sudden, you know, websites that were professionally done, and there were, there were clearly forces working behind the scenes. And famously, one of those forces was the Koch brothers, the inventors of cocaine. A <laughs> uh, pair, uh, pair of Frenchmen. Um, but, I mean, it was what? There was Freedom Works. So Freedom Works, by the way, fucking pussies, because at one point they commissioned a video of uh, a panda having sex with Hillary Clinton and then refused to air it. Wait, what? Yeah, they, uh, they got... Uh, is this not as controversial as I thought? They, they got two interns to, uh, to dress as a panda and presumably the other as Hillary Clinton. Uh, excuse me, I'll, I'll quote from the New York Magazine. In one segment of the film, according to a former official, blah, 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 Brandon's seen waking from a nap at his desk. In what appears to be a dream or a nightmare, he wanders down a hallway and spots a giant panda on its knees with its head in the lap of a seated Hillary Clinton, Then apparent, and apparently filleting the then Secretary of State. So, uh, Shining-esque, uh, you know, when the guy in the bear suit's given, given top to the other guy. Seems oh to be an, an homage. Uh, uh, so, Kubrick fans. <laughs> Well, so let's give a little history here with the Tea Party because um, I do think you're right that people don't really remember. There was there was some reporting at the time uh, from Friends of the Pod over at the Exiled, uh, Yasha Levine and Mark Ames, of how these Tea Parties were pretty much astroturfed by the Koch brothers. But it seems like that history has pretty much been buried in popular imagination. I think it was the first time that a lot of people saw, I mean, essentially what was a, what became basically almost a mass movement that was just started by a corporation, essentially. I mean, it was started by a pair of brothers, but really started at the behest of their, their conglomerates. And it took over the country. It took over discourse. The team, I mean, Pete Buttigieg. I mean, it took over the Republican Party. Exactly. Pete Buttigieg spoke at a uh, Tea Party rally. Wait, he did? Yeah, you didn't see that footage? He spoke no. at like a Tea Party event. Oh my God. What? That's good, man. So I know. It sucks. It sucks that, like, I hate it when, like, someone's really hot and you're like, please be smart. Please be smart. Oh please my be God. smart. And then they're just fucking stupid, too. It's like, cool. Great. Guess God gave you all the points in one thing. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, it really, it took over the country and especially uh, in response to ACA. Yes. So all that energy kind of emerged after Rick Santelli, who was a CNBC analyst, uh, basically went on a huge rant against the uh, one of the Obama, President Obama's uh, proposed bailouts um, with a massive deficit spend. I think it's like $250, $275 billion, something like that. And he goes on this like insane, uh, you know, insane tirade and it just blows up on YouTube. And this is kind of what they use as the spark for the narrative of the Tea Party. So you get, um, you know, all these interviews with people on the ground at these various protests saying, well, I saw Rick Santelli's rant and I just thought it was awesome. And I was moved to come out here. I was moved to come out here. Right. That, oh, the government can't be spending like this. I mean, it's the Koch brothers. Right. So any any kind of federal spending, you know, they hate. But it was a way of kind of like brush, you know, kind of painting a picture that there was, you know, a match to the flame. And it was this one, like, you know, network style rant that just like swept the nation. But it's not true. Um, some reporting on this, ChicagoTeaParty.com was just one part of a larger network of Republican sleeper cell blogs set up over the course of the past months, tied to a shady right wing advocacy group named the Sam Adams Alliance. They're always named like. The dorkiest things. Like it's that. so corny to name yourself that are fucking like shitty ass beer too. <laughs> Sorry, that was stupid. I, you know what? I regret saying that. I feel like any. I feel like it though. Cached Google records show that uh, that the Sam Adams Alliance took pains to scrub its deep links to the Koch family, as well as fake grassroots Tea Party protests going on that day. All these roads ultimately lead back to the more sinister group freedom works which is a powerful pr organization headed by former republican house majority leader dick army and funded by coke money hold on dick army mm-hmm. i didn't know that uh chapo trap house fans uh had a man in government oh god <laughs> um but you know it went even further like like i said uh yash levine was reporting on the ground at one of the tea party rallies and and kind of like you know in in his own um uh you know in his good reporting gumshoe ways uh said hey i just wanted you to know that my brother works for freedom works in washington we're not close but i spoke to him on the phone last night he told me what you guys are doing i just want you to know i respect and support you 100 percent." he said that to one of the tea party guys trying to see what their reaction would be mm-hmm and they just like completely shut down. He paused for a second, his smile tightening, shrinking almost imperceptibly. <laughs> That's how you do reporting. Who wrote this? Yasha. Classic Yasha. It was great. So basically, you know, again, the way they use these um, kind of like, you know, quote unquote spontaneous media events to, you know, just kind of paint you know distract from or paint over the fact that all of this is highly funded highly organized and you know you know sometimes even these protesters are just straight up paid i mean i know it's like it's become uh it's it's funny because you know trump and, and you know people on the right always joke about soros paying 
protesters or whatever. And I have to say, like, I haven't gotten my monthly check yet, but I, I do. But it's a Zog thing. <laughs> Watch yourself. Well, I, I, it's a Zog is our word. <laughs> but okay, but for real, like, there are PR companies out there that straight up just pay protesters. Yeah, it is like, it is fantastic news for our fans out there because everybody, I mean, for those of you who are out of work, what we need to do is create some sort of crisis and then have that crisis be basically seized upon by somebody with a lot of money and then you can get paid to fix the crisis. So what, 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 like what, one of these groups, for instance, is called Crowds on Demand. Uh, and guess what they do? They do crowds on demand. <laughs> so say that you are, uh, I don't know, you are trying to pass a tax on push-ups, which would bankrupt me. Uh, and it's, you know, they're fairly, uh, these often spring up because I've actually seen them spring up specifically in San Francisco around uh, a soda ban. Uh, these, these protests will spring up to what you think are fairly banal, like, really uncontroversial or at least like hard to get worked up about taxes for instance like yes like the soda tax in san francisco uh i think it was 2014 it happened um and then all of a sudden there are people protesting there are people with signs at the train station there are people you know on the side of the road there are people handing out flyers you're like who the fuck cares one way or the other specifically against a, a a small tax on fizzy beverages that give you a little bit of a sugar rush. Uh, and oftentimes they are supplied by an organization like Crowds on Demand. And one thing in particular they, they, they use them for are anti-union, uh, let's say, organizing. Mm -hmm. And so what they'll do is they will pay you a certain amount of money. In my, like, from one things, ads I've seen, it's, I feel like it's usually a flat rate. Um, but they'll pay you not much, but some money to essentially go stand there and pretend that you are a supporter or, or a antagonist of whatever event you're supposed to be going to. Yeah. So this is literally from their website and I just want to read it because it's so like brain breaking crowd. This is like part of, you know, you, you look on their website and they talk about, um, different case studies and, you know, successful campaigns they've done. So this is them bragging about it, okay? Crowds on Demand was hired by multiple large non-union firms to push back against new regulations in a deeply labor-friendly state. We successfully lobbied the legislature and the Labor Commission to push back proposed labor regulations. We created two organizations with associated websites. One conservative site focused on the impact unions have on drastically increasing government spending, and one liberal one focused on the racially discriminatory and sexist policies of many unions. We provided phone bankers and constituent lobby visits associated with the two organizations to lobby both conservative and liberal lawmakers and policymakers, respectively. Within two months, the proposed regulations were off the table. There we go, baby. There's a famous case of protesters or at least sort of celebrants uh, being present at an event that was pretty bafflingly uh, attended, let's say. Mm. In 2016, um, there was a celebration, a flash mob, 
that took place in New York City, uh, where a large group of racially diverse young people uh, pogo-sticked while wearing T-shirts adorned with the flag of the Republic of Turkey underneath a plane owned by a company owned by Warren Buffett that, that wrote things in the sky like, BFF, Russia plus Armenia. Great ally equals Turkey with the eight, the great being GR8. Uh, and then factcheckarmenia.com and geno-lie. Mm. Uh, there's a, there's a, I think Chapo actually interviewed somebody who was uh, hired to, to be one of the participants, uh, one of the early episodes. But it is, it, 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 that event and events like that, you know, it's, they're, they're, you're confused about why people go to them. And then you realize that, oh, of course, like they are being paid, right? Yeah. And, and what you said earlier about setting up two fake front organizations, one being a liberal one and one being a conservative one, that's smart politics. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's controlling it from both sides. And it's, do you see how it, it, it can identify? I mean, that is just like, I, I want people to really like take this in. They're pushing back on labor regulations from both a conservative angle, which is this is bad, for, this will increase government regulations and spending, and the liberal one, which is unions are bad because they're sexist and racist. It's it's funny. That's actually a talking point that um, I have seen deployed recently by a certain bakery, where mm. uh, where they took the entire history of the union sexual like assault cases or whatever, which are dealt with very seriously in the union. But like, it's not a great amount, and they took all of them from the past two decades, and they're just like, look, there's been like 20 sexual assaults in the ILWU. Like, do you feel safe being in that union? Um, and it's a pretty common tack that you'll see uh, that, that unions are whatever, and, and that's because these talking points are handed to them by people, to business owners, by people like the people who own CrowdsOnDemand.com. You know, it's just so fun. Yeah. And it's so great how conservative talking points and liberal talking points can come together to fuck labor. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. It, it, they'll attack it from any angle. And that's the thing is like th these exist. So let me, let me tell you a quick little anecdote. Is that, do you mind? No, I love them. So, uh, last you know I love year, when you tell me your stories <laughs> last year, uh, one of the most uh, barbaric, medieval, and I would say outright cruel laws was was on the ballot, or excuse me, was passed by our board of supervisors, basically our city council here in San Francisco. It was a ban on the sale of jewel pods and jewel sticks in San Francisco. Never mind, never mind that some people who had been smoking Marlboro Reds since they were 13 were successfully able to start juuling and thus technically smoking less because while they did technically smoke more nicotine per day due to the high usage of the pods, were no longer smoking uh, carcinogens. Anyways, get off of that real quick. Uh, so the Board of Supervisors passed it and all of a sudden, everywhere, you saw a uh, signs for a proposition because in San Francisco or in California, you can put propositions on the ballot. So if you get a certain amount of signatures, you can basically pass a law. And what Juul had done, and I think in coordination with other uh, e-tobacco companies, was they had put together basically uh, a, a, a campaign to, to repeal the law that was banning Juul. And one day I was approached by a political operative uh, who shall remain nameless because I can't remember their name. But this was somebody I had known and I had met before through politics, not like a socialist or anything, but like 
somebody who was around in local politics. And they saw me, you know, blasting some mango and, uh, and asked me, would you like to be a basically um, not a spokesperson, but like a person helping represent Jewel and sort of putting a human face to the campaign? And so they did a bunch of other stuff. They, they, a bunch of really shady shit, you know, use people's names in ways that we're not supposed to use. Uh, and the, of course the campaign failed because it was transparently by Jewel. And people don't generally like voting in favor of tobacco companies in San Francisco. Uh, but it was astounding to see it sort of come together. And actually, I believe they actually just didn't, they, they, they quit the campaign because they got such a backlash for it, even though it still appeared on the ballot. But I could have been one of these paid protesters. You could have been a crisis actor. Well, I, and you know what? I, I want our fan base to know here, or even just our listeners, people who despise me, I want you to know that my integrity, and this was, by the way, this was before I did the podcast. This is when I was working for slightly above minimum wage at the damn factory, all at early in the morning till mid-afternoon, miserable, no money. And somebody basically came up to me and offered me uh, a work for Jewel, and, and I could have gotten free Jewel pods. Any flavor I want, even the ones that are banned, I could have gotten them. And I said no. It's a man, I said no. It's a man with some conviction. Exactly. Man of principles right there. Um, but it is, it's kind of, it's Philip K. Dickian in a way. Yeah, it is. And, you know, it feels like this is just going to become more and more and more a thing. Like it, it's very weird because I mean you even you see it in other in other states as well, right? I mean you see like do you remember those Foxconn protests in China? Yes, where it's like everyone in matching T-shirts, the saddest faces you'll ever see in your life. Totally depressed. But they all just said, "I love Foxconn," and everyone, um, you know, holding signs trying to get Foxconn reopened. Mm-hmm. Which is DSA, terrible factory, by the way. <laughs> DSA unfortunately did sponsor that event, but that's just because. <laughs> no, but it's you know you see it, yeah, you see it more and more. I mean, Turkey does this all the time. Yeah, yeah, and 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 as like we talked about briefly last episode uh, w- with Mark, is that this is huge in Russia too. Yeah, I mean they take it uh, a few steps further, and they actually pay. There'll be basically paid gangs street fighting each other, although that happens in multiple countries. Uh, and you start to think, like, well, is that sort of the future we're looking at here, you know, or just in general? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that we we always kind of use that term kayfabe, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the that's that's wrestling, from my understanding. And it, what <laughs> it mean, it's the theater of wrestling, right? Uh-huh. And though it's that you're all kind, you 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 know, the kayfabe is it's the that kind of theater that you're engaged in. Where it's the play fighting and the play, you know, all, all of the acting and breaking the kayfabe means like, you know, letting the audience kind of see that it's made up or it's all kind of fake, you know? Well, and it all feels like we're there, you know, there's some times where I swear, I mean, especially with, um, you know, quarantine, I found myself like just turning on cable news sometimes which is a terrible habit to get in. Horrible. I know. I know. It's terrible. But I've been turning it on, and it's just like you see the kind of like how intensely polarized every media spectacle is, right? 
Yeah. And how it just plays both sides. And this, again, this is kind of something we were talking about with Mark in terms of the, like, these, like, media monopolies that play against each other and promote these, you know, it's like, you've, you know, you've got the, like, kind of like the MSNBC Sharks versus the Fox News Jets, and everyone is just kind of, like, play-acting these political battles that are all, what it looks like, all run by corporations. Well, that's the thing is, is, I mean, you know, Washington Post owned by, uh, you know, owned by Bezos, all these, all, every cable news station owned by some multi, you know, multinational conglomerate. And so what you're seeing when the news trickles down to you, you are seeing, and I hate to sound, again, I sound like an Air America guy. You're, you're basically just seeing the corporate line on something. And sometimes those lines differ. And, and if you take it a step further, okay, well, you see a, a corporate owned, you know, TV news station reporting on a, uh, a corporate funded and, and staffed and peopled protest. And so what you're seeing there is all bullshit, all bullshit. And like, okay, we see that a little bit now and that's been happening for quite a while, but uh, you know, when things let's say progress, when things get further along the line, I don't think it would be out of the question for, for, you know, some campaign, uh, to, to, for a tax or something, maybe a tax on, on financial transactions, you know, like square or stuff like that. And to see two sides basically funding and fake, you know, faking out, uh, supporters of both sides, a totally fabricated campaign mm. on both sides where everybody is paid, you know, from the canvassers to the people showing up to protest, uh, everybody is paid and is essentially a mercenary. Just it's like creating an entire corporate spectacle, basically. A hundred percent. And and to me, it's like this makes sense for that to happen because mm-hmm. what we had the sixties and this 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 period of heightened, but basically ineffective in America politicization. This sort of this sort of orgy uh, of spectacle. And then in the 70s, uh, you know, things start declining. In the 80s, everything's basically totally depoliticized. Um, the 90s, even more so. 2000s, uh, you know, we, we snap back to this sort of just jingoistic insanity. And now we have whatever weird future we're living in, where we're so far removed from, like, actual in-person politics uh, as a whole, as uh, you know, in, in mass society, that it's, it's so foreign to people that I, I, you know, I could see people knowing all of this, knowing that both sides uh, at a rally, for instance, are funded by somebody and just not caring because that's normal. Yeah, I mean, it's all psychopolitics, right? Exactly. It's one, like, at, at some point in the future, and I don't even think very far off in the far-flung future, uh, you know, we might see entire political campaigns well, there are already entire, uh, these already exist actually, but in a more blatant way, see entire political campaigns that have zero real life on the ground support and are all manufactured and it's just all bullshit, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, we see that a little bit with Biden. How so? Well, with, with Biden had like very, very few like canvassers or phone bakers or anything like that. And he was able to swing pretty hard. I mean, it's not all because of the media at all by any means, um, but largely because of that, because you can make someone seem like they have a lot of support, which obviously he did. Um, but you can sort of overemphasize that with, with constant TV mentions or, or mm. appearances on TV 
or news stories about something. Uh, Biden's not the perfect subject for this whatsoever. But but don't think that the 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 cruel scientists, um, you know, behind the cameras at these places don't realize that they have quite a lot of power. And in conjunction with whatever group that can set up front organizations, because boy, there are a lot. Basically, any issue you can think of, there are you know dozens and dozens and dozens of obscure front organizations funded entirely by uh, by corporations. Um, you know, it's 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 like Philip K. Dick. It's like a fake world. Yeah, I think like I want to take that even a step further because I think you know you just got me thinking about. I mentioned psychopolitics, Byung-Chul Han, who's the, that philosopher, German philosopher. I think he's German. Um, but the whole idea behind psychopolitics is that there doesn't need to be this big specter of big brother or this big disciplinary force because we've become disciplinary subjects of ourselves, like of our own selves. So these specter, it's like, he, you know, he talks a lot about how it's like Bezos, Zuckerberg, these kind of, you know, insane corporate overlords don't even have to do much because just their mere existence in our psyches disciplines us to fear them, regardless of if they're doing anything whatsoever. And it's sort of like, um, you know, you could these, these like you start opening your mind up and seeing how these corporations and I'm not saying they don't, how they manipulate all these things. And it has this very like, or I mean, I find it to be, uh, you know, like I feel frozen. You're like, how do you know what's real? How, how do you know, like, am I, you know, really questioning what you're seeing? You know, you mentioned Biden and I feel like the constant refrain with Biden from everyone was, is everyone seeing how demented he is or am I only seeing it? Yeah. You know what I mean? And it has this very jarring, it's completely destabilizing. Yeah. It, it, it puts you it, again, like it, 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 it puts you sort of into this hole with just yourself, right? Like it individualizes completely your experience mm. because it seems like nobody, you know, is seeing what you're seeing. And it feels great. It's like, again, it, it, this sort of ties back to what we were talking about at the beginning is, is, is a lot of people with COVID is it seems like, okay, like I'm just home alone. Like, is anything happening? Like, what if out there, there was just a whole world that was going on. It's just, I'm alone. I'm crazy. I imagined all of this. It's like, I mean, obviously that's not what's happening. I mean, maybe not obviously, but like, I, I you know, it's, it's, it's what I can see is basically politics in the future being doses of like insanity for people is watching the political process roll out and seeing all these fake things happening and seeing just like this 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 like this manufacturing of a society uh just out in the open uh that could drive you insane
So, I've always thought about this, Liz. Imagine, obviously, this is not the case, but imagine if I, let's actually, I don't want to use you for this because you'll get grossed out. But imagine if I was like a big, well, first of all, I'd have to be capable, but imagine if I was able and willing to have group sex. Mm. And I went to an event possibly that I found on uh, an, an app of some sort. Um, and a man is there, it's just a man and his wife, and that man is Roger Stone and his horrible wife. Oh, boy. I think that would make me question, I mean, because he's a swinger. So I think about it, like, someone must swing with him. This is, by the way, listeners, this is Jermaine in a very, I shouldn't say even ancillary, tertiary way to what we're about to talk about. So bear with me here. Uh, I would probably, I would probably uh, Dorner the situation. I would probably be, probably pull a Dorner, if you know what I mean. Christopher Dorner. I wanted you to keep going. Uh, yeah. Anyways, I wouldn't fuck him. But <laughs> so, do you remember? So, do you remember two thousand one? Ugh, buddy, do I ever? I mean, I was only three years old, but yeah, I was six months old. Yeah, I thought you were still in the womb. Yeah, <laughs> I like how you had to think about it, and then I you know. said six months. <laughs> could you could have said it was? <laughs> I don't know. You're like, oh fuck, no, three years old to sound too believable. <laughs> Uh, so there was a bit of a no. dispute right down there in Florida, right? Oh my gosh. They were just, talk about the virgin versus the Chad. They were hanging Chads down there. It was a massacre. Oh, yeah, it was awful from the light post. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, 2000 election, I mean, everyone knows the, the deal there, right? I think. For those of you who don't, uh, 2000 election... Electoral College, first of vote in Florida, first of votes went to Gore, then back to Bush, and then it was too close to call, baby. Bush actually called Gore and was like, Oh, I'm done, my brother. I don't know why I don't know why he said And then brother. he said, uh, takes back. Side bitch. <laughs> he totally he had his fingers crossed. You thought <laughs> uh, uh yeah, no. Uh so basically yeah, too close to call. There massive, uh, you know, discrepancies in this yes. election. But suffice to say that it turned all eyes turned to Florida, and then specifically, all eyes turned to Miami Dade because it, there were supposed to be about six hundred fifty thousand ballots recounted, but they sort of hemmed and hawed and they delayed on that. There's we could do a whole episode on this. This is about this particular facet, so I won't go into it too much. Uh, but it all came down to about 10,750 uh, votes that had been rejected by computer tabulators. Yeah. There was a, a voting machine glitch that I think fucked a ton of people up. Well, I mean, who knows if we'll ever know the actual amount. Um, but there were there was going to be a, there was going to be a recount. They were going to hand count some of these ballots too. Yes, and uh, when they went down there, who did they find? Well, so. At one point, the head of the local Democratic Party goes down to the county building where they're counting the votes, and he sees large, large crowds of men uh, in suits. Mm. And he's like, okay, you know, and they, they, are, they are very agitated. He goes in there, and, you know, he's, he, he talks to the election officials, and he had a theory about why the ballots are fucked up, so he got a sample ballot from, from one of the officials uh, which is, you know, legal to do. It's a ballot. It's not going to be counted. It's a sample ballot. Can't be counted. Uh, and he's walking to another room when he is surrounded 
by rabid, jowl-having men who have gone totally berserk because they are claiming he is stealing, uh, you know, he obviously has one piece of paper in his hand. They just yelling he has 300 ballots that he's stealing. He's just stealing ballots going uh, through the halls. Didn't make a lot of sense. And it turns out that all of these protesters, well, at least, let, let me say this, the cadre at the core of these protesters. The men uh, in the suits. The men in the suits were all part, basically, Republican staffers or politicians, directed by Roger Stone. Mm. Um, it is... <laughs> it is so so bizarre. So people had uh, signs that said "sore loserman," which once I read that, that's pretty a, funny. A great wave of memories came back over me because <laughs> the classic. I found a towel that says it. Um, really? Yes. I, I I didn't purchase it. I just found a picture of it. Although I would push. I I do have. No, I'm not repeating the the the, the mistake of my George W. Bush toilet paper. Which, okay, I am glad that I have a lot of toilet paper, but it's very low quality, and I've had it for 20 years. Um, but IRS records showed that a bunch of these fucking guys were paid to go down there, basically, and stop the recount. Yeah, so they this was kind of like one of the earliest examples, and to be honest, one of the funniest examples <laughs> yeah. of this kind of phenomenon that we're talking about. What do they call them? The Brooks Brothers? Protest? It was the the Brooks Brothers riot. It, it's in reference <laughs> to the Zoot Suit riot, which was a sure. riot of, of racist GIs in Southern California beating up sharply dressed Latino youth. Yeah, uh, during World War II, uh, and they went fucking ham, and they basically successfully stopped this process from going down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everyone knows that eventually this ends up in the Supreme Court, and they basically decide the election for Bush. Yeah, which. Nobody could have seen coming. Uh, but I, I will say this. Al Gore looks like shit now. So maybe for the best. Um, but you Remember know, he grew that beard afterwards? God. He was the first. Okay. He, was, he pioneered like losing the election cope. Yeah. Yeah. Because remember, he, everyone was like, I never want to hear from Al Gore again. I never want to do anything. And then like a photo surfaced of him and he was just like the huge beard. Mm-hmm. Mayor Pete then, could never. Could never. Well, Al Gore was, I mean, Mayor Pete is a very sexless creature, but Al Gore is possibly one of the clearly horniest men alive. Ugh, he's so disgusting. How did he like rehabilitate? People don't know about Al Gore. He did a documentary. Yeah, okay. People love documentaries. They're huge, man. People love to smoke weed and watch, what, I can't remember what it's called, his documentary. Inconvenient truth. Yeah, here's an inconvenient truth. truth. You're ugly. You're stupid. That's two. Two for the price of one. That's inconvenient truth number one and two. Hey, all you smart kids out there, look up the DLC and the history of the DLC. You're going to find my man Al Gore in there. He, you know, it's an inconvenient truth about him. Yeah. He also got a small, small pecker. So my friend Roger told me that.
Well, Brace, I don't know what's real. Where am I? Who am I? Uh, Liz. <laughs> wait. Who are you? I don't know. I was just using my computer, shirtless as usual. And all of a sudden, uh, your face is on my screen. What? Is, who are you? Okay, okay. Honestly, though, like, who am I? <laughs> like, I do think about that sometimes. Like, who am I? Like, you know, you know, it's, it's, I'll tell you what, this is, this is, I, 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 I find it very gauche to complain about being a podcaster, but it never gets easier to listen to your own voice. Um, and sometimes I listen to it, I'm like, damn, that's me talking? That's fucked up. Um, <laughs> But I have been, I mean, as you know, like I have been, I have been purposely not drinking water before I go to bed so I can do this thing. Ukrainians talk about this a lot. No other culture really does, but it's a common thing that everyone across the world does. If you go to bed thirsty, your soul leaves your body at night and walks the earth. And I've been going and caressing the foreheads of my enemies and staring into them with skeleton eyes. It's just a skeleton with two big ass eyeballs. Like, like, cool, like the Crypt Keeper? <laughs> yeah, like they're cool looking ones. Wow. Right? <laughs> uh, and stroking the heads of my enemies and promising them that I will have my post-quarantine revenge. Oh, boy. Um, but I do wonder sometimes, like, what's going on with reality? <laughs> right? Are we in a dorm room right now? Did we smoke weed? Liz, first of all, neither of us uh, have a, had a traditional education. Let's call it that. <laughs> So don't pretend like you know what goes on in dorm rooms, because neither of us do. I think um, they... Mm. I know that they smoke marijuana, Liz, but I, you don't know. Maybe they just talk about podcasts. <laughs> um, but I, I'm saying that, like, it becomes difficult. I can discern... That's the thing is, our job is to try to discern what's real and what's not real. But sometimes, things are both. Mm. And that is where you gotta. That is that is where you have to pierce the. the what I'm always talking about. You gotta get in between them. Get pierce in the, middle. the veil. Exactly. Get in the middle. Sandwich yourself in. Well, on that note. <laughs> <laughs> um. My name is Bryce. <laughs> are you melting? I'm you look melting. like you were trying to melt. You were my doing name... melt face. Wait, what's it look like? I'm doing now. No, don't do that. Stop it. Stop it. What? I wouldn't do it anyway. It's a fucking toothpick. Oh, my God. I'm not my even going to describe what you just did. My name is Brace. Put your shirt down. Okay. It's down. My name is Brace. For Christ's <laughs> sake, I am a man. <laughs> I'm Liz. We're joined, as always, by Young Chomsky. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.